1: Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton.
2: God brings us out of our bondage to sin. God brings us out of the world. He redeems us and he brings us into a spirit-filled life. The promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a picture of the spirit-filled life for the believer. So God brings us out. He redeems us from sin in the world to lead us into a spirit-filled life that's characterized by fruitfulness and blessing and abundance.
1: When you hear or read through the book of Exodus, do you think about where you are in your 40-year journey through the desert? Are you still following God's lead in steadfast faithfulness, or is there doubt? Do you look to your Moses for guidance, or have you started to question his judgment? Today, Pastor Dan reveals something extremely important about God's plan for his children. You will see the story of the Exodus through a renewed lens once you accept this truth that God is leading you through the desert. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
2: 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. In the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. Note that. They rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. Verse 7, you have overthrown those who rose against you. They, they don't sing, rose against us, but rose against you. Whenever God's people are persecuted, God takes that as an attack against himself. Remember what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He did not say, why are you persecuting Christians or why are you persecuting the church? But why are you persecuting me? Earlier in the book of Exodus, God described the children of Israel as his children. Egypt, under Pharaoh, rose up against God's children and brutalized his children. If you're a parent and someone is trying to harm your children or brutalize your children, you will respond to them as if they are attacking you personally. In a sense, it is an attack against you when someone attacks your kids. God does the same thing with his children when they're mistreated. Look at verse 8 again. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Interesting what it says here, the water stood upright like a heap. We talked about this last time, a wall of water on each side of the children of Israel, maybe hundreds of feet tall as they pass through the Red Sea. He says the depths congealed. The word congealed means to thicken or to become dense or firm. The word is used for the curdling of milk. And so the water became dense and firm like Jello, or cottage cheese or, or something. I don't know. I'm sure there was some kid that went over and <laughs> poked it just to see. It's like cottage cheese, Mom. And I don't even know what cottage cheese is. It hasn't been invented yet, but when they invent it, it's going to be like this. I don't know if this means, but I wonder, does it mean that the seawater, you know, as they were walking through... Were they not even sprayed by the water? I mean, it says they walked through on dry ground. Elsewhere in the Psalms, it says it was like a desert that they walked on. I mean, are they coming out of this and they don't even have dampness on their clothes? I don't know. I hope there's a video in heaven of this. Now, verse 9 the enemy said, I will pursue. And this is crazy to me. You know, if you're the Egyptian army or you're just a soldier in the Egyptian army and you see the water split and there's these, you know, 200-foot-tall walls of water, I'm going home. You know, I'm out. This is the end of the line for me. I will pursue. You know, and you think about Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has hardened his heart to the point now where he's just making self-destructive decisions. His heart is so hard. That's what people do. I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. And then you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. And we talked about this last time, but there is no way this is describing some kind of shallow lake. Or a marsh. If you weren't here last time, you can go back and listen to chapter 14. But this is the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba, where this takes place. So, verse 11 Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like you, O Lord? There's, there's no God like our God. When it comes to our salvation, our God did much more than parting the Red Sea. Our God left heaven. And he came down to this earth and he became a man and he put on human flesh and he dwelt among us to die for us in our place to save us and to reconcile us to himself. Our God is the only God who died for his people to save them. And he's glorious in holiness. He's fearful in praises, doing wonders. You know, if you think about it, the Bible tells us that our God spoke the universe into existence. The Bible says the stars are his handiwork. Just his handiwork. Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, you're impressed with that? It's just my handiwork. You know, I just did that one day. You know, wasn't even thinking about it. But to save us, he came down to the earth and he died in our place. Romans says that the gospel is the, the power of God unto salvation. To save us, it, was, it required more than what was required to make the stars, or to make the heavens and the earth. He could just speak that into existence. But to save us, he had to come down and die for us on the cross. Who is like you, O Lord? He says in verse 12, You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them, you and your mercy led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. What a wonderful verse, verse 13 is. You and your mercy, or you and your goodness, you and your faithfulness, you and your steadfast love, led your people and redeemed them and guided them in your strength to your holy Habitation. And this is what the Lord does in your life and in my life. In His goodness, in His steadfast love, He redeems us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He guides us by His Holy Spirit and by His Word, and He will lead us to His holy habitation in heaven one day. This is our story. This is our song here. Verse 14. The people, meaning the other nations, will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. That would be the Philistines who dwell along the Mediterranean coast. Then the chief priests of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan Will melt away. Moab and Edom lie to the east and the southeast of the promised land. These are the nations surrounding the promised land, and the Canaanites dwell in the promised land. Verse 16 fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased. We've been bought with a price, right? By the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been purchased. God purchased the children of Israel. So he mentions here the land of Philistia or the Philistines. He mentions Edom or the Edomites and Moab or the Moabites and Canaan, the Canaanites And you have to be a little bit aware of the geopolitics of that day to fully appreciate what these verses are saying. Egypt was the superpower of the world. Egypt was the superpower of the world. They had the strongest, most well-equipped army in the world. And the nations mentioned here in verses 14 and 15 lived in fear of the Egyptians. They lived in constant fear of the Egyptians. And when news makes it to these nations that the children of Israel a bunch of slaves with no weapons at all completely destroyed the Egyptian army, then these nations will fear the Israelites. The people will hear and be afraid it says, they will mount when they hear the news of what Israel did to Egypt. I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com.
1: Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth.
2: Now turn with me over to Joshua chapter 2. And if we were watching a movie right now, the screen would go black and it would say on the screen in white letters, 40 years later. Because 40 years later, the children of Israel finally make it to the promised land. They don't make it because of their unbelief and their distrust of God and his word. But they finally get there 40 years later, after the exodus, 40 years after the exodus. And here they are on the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter in. And before they enter in, Joshua, who's now leading the nation because Moses has passed off the scene, Joshua sends two spies into the land. The two spies go to Jericho, which is the first city they're going to encounter when they enter into the promised land, crossing over the Jordan River. And the two spies go to the home of Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. The two spies are hiding on the roof of Rahab's house. It says in verse 8, now before they lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof. Look what she says. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, Jehovah your God, he is God and heaven above and on the earth beneath. Go look back at verse 10. She says, when we heard how your God, Jehovah, dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, our hearts melted. Forty years ago, we heard that. And for 40 years, we've just been waiting for you to show up and take the land. So go back to Exodus 15. And here in this song of Moses... Verses 14 and 15, when the people of Philistia here and the Edomites and the Moabites and the Canaanites, which would include the town of Jericho. They're going to be terrified. Their hearts are going to melt. Fear and dread will fall upon them in verse 16. That's exactly what happened. And if you remember, too, when. Moses sends the 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land, which was not God's idea. God did not ask Moses to send in 12 spies to spy out the land. God knew exactly what the land would be that he was bringing them to. He's the one that's been telling them, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. God didn't need to spy out the land. And sometimes we talk about spying out the land, just going to spy out the land before I make the decision. That's not biblical. That's not a good idea. That was something that was done in disobedience and unbelief. It wasn't something done in faith. It was done in unbelief. And when they went and spied out the land, remember, the 12 spies came back. Ten of them had a bad report. There's giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we're going to conquer this land. And it was only Joshua and Caleb who said, no, the Lord said he's going to give us this land. Let's go for it. Let's go. And they listened to the 10 people that had the bad report. And that's why they wandered in the desert for 40 years before they finally came into the promised land. Joshua 2, Rahab's account, tells us that the people were terrified when they heard about the Red Sea. That if they would have gone in under Moses, the people would have just melted in front of them. And they wasted 40 years of their life in the wilderness. Anyways, that's a different sermon for a different time, but... Look at verse 17. Look what it says here. Verse 17. You will bring them in. And plant them. In the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made. For your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord. Which your hands have established. God will bring them into the promised land. And plant them. In the promised land, God brought them out of bondage in Egypt to bring them into the promised land. God brought them out to bring them in. And so too with us. God brings us out of our bondage to sin. God brings us out of the world. He redeems us and he brings us into a spirit-filled life. The promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a picture of the spirit-filled life for the believer, so God brings us out; He redeems us from sin in the world to lead us into a spirit-filled life that's characterized by fruitfulness and blessing and abundance that He provides. Look at verse seventeen again. You will bring them in, plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands. Have established. Now this is a prophetic verse, it's prophetically looking ahead to the kingdom age and even beyond the kingdom age. Look at verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. It's looking ahead to when the Lord is reigning forever and ever on the earth. Verse 17 indicates that God has a specific mountain in the promised land that we know as Mount Moriah where the Lord will have his sanctuary, the temple, which his hands will establish. I mean, they just came through the Red Sea. And God's already looking ahead to the kingdom age and beyond the kingdom age. He's looking ahead to this mountain. He's already got it picked out. He already knows he's going to establish a a tabernacle and then a temple there in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. And it's going to be a sanctuary that he builds for himself, a dwelling place. Now, because of this verse here, back in Exodus 15. The Jewish people expect the Messiah to build a temple. Jewish people still today, many of them still believe that they'll recognize their Messiah because he will build a temple. And it will be a temple built by the Messiah and not by human hands. The Lord's hands will establish it and he will reign forever as king From that temple. I'm going to show you another verse. If you want to turn with me to Zechariah 6. Verse 12. Then speak to him saying. Thus says the Lord of hosts saying. Behold the man. Whose name is the branch. When the Bible uses the word branch. It's talking about the heir. Of a royal throne. From his place he shall branch out. This is a messianic prophecy about the man jesus christ the messiah who is the heir to the throne he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the lord yes he shall build the temple of the lord he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne so he shall be a priest on his throne he's going to be a king and a priest and the council of peace shall be between them both So this is telling us that the branch, the Messiah, will build a temple and he's going to build it, Exodus tells us, without human hands, the Messiah himself will build this temple. Now, why am I making such a big deal out of this? I'll tell you why. In the New Testament, in Mark chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was on trial before the religious leaders... They brought in false witnesses. And one of the accusations that was made against Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 58, if you're taking notes, Mark fourteen fifty-eight. one of the accusations made against Jesus was that he said, he will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days, he will build another made without hands. Now, when they said that he will build a temple without hands or human hands, the accusation they are making against Jesus goes back to Exodus chapter 15. The Lord is the one, God is the one who will build and establish a dwelling place by his own hands. And so they're accusing Jesus and that false accusation of claiming to be God, to say that he's going to build a temple without human hands. And in Mark chapter 14, right after that accusation is made against Jesus, the high priest says to Jesus, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? To which Jesus said, I am. where did you think he got that from? Exodus six, right? I am. And then the high priest rents his garment and says, what more evidence do we need? This man has spoken blasphemy. He's claiming to be God. All of that goes back to Exodus chapter 15 and this verse here about the temple. I know that's kind of a long way around the barn to get to that, but I think it's important to see that, that that accusation that's made against Jesus when he's on trial actually comes from Exodus chapter 15. Now, back in Exodus chapter 15, verse 19 For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels, and with dances. So this is Miriam, the older sister of Moses and Aaron, and she is described here as a prophetess, meaning she had the gift of prophecy. God gave her words to speak to the people.
3: He asked me how I know. And I say, bring true.
1: Thank you for spending a part of your day with us here at Ring of Truth. You've just heard a message from Pastor Dan Sexton in the book of Exodus. There's a lot we can learn from this and other books in the Bible. In fact, if you visit our website, calvaryec.com, you'll find a treasure trove of other messages, all neatly organized in a simple, straightforward manner. We would encourage you to camp out here for a while and soak your spirit in the truth of God's Word. Is there anything you would like us to pray for? We'd love to intercede in prayer on your behalf. Please locate the prayer tab at the top of our homepage, calvaryec.com, and send in your prayer request through the form you find there. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, too. We're also just a phone call away if you're not in Maryland. Call us at 410-491-4592. We'd love to hear what's going on in your life. Again, that's 410 491 92 Would you consider supporting this ministry financially? If so, please visit calvaryec.com to learn how. We hope that today's teaching has been encouraging to your faith. Come back again next time for more in the book of Exodus. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed day and are reminded of the things learned today. This has been... Ring of Truth.
3: I see the signs and I recognize the